Hey, good morning, everyone. Hey, uh, I'm glad that you're here. <laughs> uh, you had a moment this morning with one of my new friends here at North Shore and just having a, a moment of encouragement uh, uh, together, and that was awesome. Um, but two and even three days ago, we celebrated uh, God breaking into this world through the birth of Jesus Christ. And we have another thing to celebrate. It's already been mentioned, but maybe uh, just to, to send it off, uh, uh, maybe with a round of applause, it gave us a good run. It, it was nice, but this is the last Sunday of 2020. That's it. We're done with you. We did it. It has been 294 days since March 8th. The first time that we went online only. Uh, closed the doors on that Sunday. We had to send people here in case you missed the message. I hope that wasn't one of you. And we went into that phase for a while. And it was almost exactly uh, 100 days later that we were able to reopen and come back here. And we were in uh, this room and we were over in the pack room and we didn't know what we were doing, and it was really exciting and crazy and, and weird at the same time. And so we gathered in our really small groups, and we, uh, we watched church, but we were here, and that was really cool. And, and then afterwards, we debriefed. Um, we, we just kind of did a recap. We're like, what was that like? It was three months since we were able to do this. And we came back, and we talked about what went well, what, what you know, we want to do next time. And, but one of the things that was the most kind of frequent feedback um, as we were just recapping what it was like to get back together, one of the comments that stood out that was the most reoccurring was how great it was that first moment when we all started singing together again. Right, like you can come and we can, you know, a sermon on a screen is a sermon on a screen, right? When we have YouTube, get it, okay? And it's nice to, you know, say hi to people, but we weren't even shaking hands. And so there's people, but not really. But there was a moment of worship. And, and that stood out to people. It was like, we haven't done this in a while. It's not the same at home. And that was really cool. That was the, one of our highlights of that weekend was being able to do that. It was special. So then things got a little uncomfortable a few months later uh, when an official recommendation, restriction, mandate, law, suggestion, whatever these things are, came uh, that said when you gather as people on a Sunday morning in a church service, you should not sing, right? And there was this, there was this, this moment. It was a whirlwind of a week responding to that. And, and if you miss like North Shore's official response, I'll sum that up in just a second. But, but what was kind of cool about that week, one thing that I appreciated at least a lot was that it made us stop and think, and, and we asked ourselves, like, well, okay, what, what, do I, what do I believe? What does the Bible say? What is, 
Why sing? What is the point of worship? What happens when we gather? Does one part of the Bible supersede another part of the Bible? How do we do, you know, can we do church one way and then maybe do it a different way for a time? All these questions. And I had um, people that, that I've been in contact with, uh, college, different churches, other friends from all around Washington having these conversations as we were all in this together. What does it mean for us right now? What do we do? And so let me ask you, as we look at this this morning, why sing? Like, why do we do that? Why is that a tradition? Why is it something that is so prevalent in our churches? Uh, some of the initial responses that week were, were kind of more along the lines of uh, two arms. They, they can't tell us what to do. Right, here we go. Um, and I'm not, you know, especially for this, I'm not really interested in that part of the conversation. Mostly I appreciate having good conversations with a range of people all, all over from my background in different places, all over Washington, just trying to figure out and how to live what the Bible says when it, when it comes to some sort of meaningful decision I have to make about ideals of, of honor and respect and authority and submission and, and worship and, and following God and, and all of these different things. Uh, so again, if you did miss it, or just to sum it up, North Shore did, did not land uh, on the position of, you know, nobody tells us what to do. Uh, but... After that week of a lot of internal conversations, um, we kind of landed on two thoughts to adopt as a church. I mean, the first was that we, we don't feel comfortable telling people not to do something that is in the Bible for us to do. The second is in, in that, being aware of the situation that we're in with a very real virus that is taking place and the building that we have and the people that come in our midst, that second question was, well, then what does love say in that to the people around you? Right? What is your heart position as we go about this? What are actions that you can take with integrity? What is love saying to you, to the people around you? And we've gone from there being obedient to Scripture and, and respectful to our neighbors each week. Um, but I was, I was sitting here on Thursday night. Well, not, not here. That would have been awkward. I was back there. Uh, on Thursday night, listening to Silent Night for like the 19th time at a Christmas Eve service. And I was wondering to myself, why is it that for 2,000 years we have gathered around song to celebrate one of the most, the most significant events in human history? And yeah, there's a, there's a message and a devotional and there's readings and things, but there's also always song specifically about that. And so my, my goal this morning, is no agenda, is just to simply walk through some more of that conversation. We, we, we weren't able to stop and spend time and, you know, hash out that, that point one um, from where North Shore landed, but just to continue that conversation, to go on a journey and have a little bit more um, revealing uh, from God about singing in the Bible and his people and music. 
Uh, it's something that's important to me. So if you're like, hey, wait, I, I see you in the bulletin. And it says like student pastor. And yes, generally, uh, you know, one of the essential ingredients of my week is like shooting a teenager with a Nerf gun. Um, but this, this has been meaningful to me in, in my life um, and in my family as well. My, uh, my papa is a professional musician. My mom is a professional musician. Uh, I got a $50 gift card to Fred Meyer once to play piano for a memorial service, so I'm pretty sure that counts. I am also a professional musician. And it's meaningful and it's helpful. And, and going through that week, having the conversations again, coming back to just being in the Word, what does God want us to do? What does God say was an encouragement. And I would hope possibly that this would be as well. Um, so here's where we're going. One specific example of some unlikely singers. And then just a package of observations about uh, that, that God is both, I think, a musician and a scientist. Um, so with that, I'd like to look at Exodus 15. And this is, we're not great at spoilers here. This is the first worship song. And that takes place in Exodus 15, which, which is a chapter that people are sometimes unfamiliar with. It's an easy chapter to skip. Uh, you're probably very familiar with Exodus 14. They made a movie about it. But just to recap how we get to this part of the Bible that we're going to jump into, way, way back, the beginning of Genesis, God makes a promise to a man named Abraham. It says, I'm going to build you into a great people. If you follow me, I will make your descendants like the stars, like the sand. And, and God makes this specific promise to this specific family. I'm going to be your God. You will be my people. So Abraham has a son named Isaac. Isaac has a son named Jacob. Jacob has a whole bunch of kids. But the youngest of 12 sons was named Joseph. Joseph had big dreams, literally, and not a lot attacked, and he made his brothers mad at him all the time. That's a really short version of a really cool story. Uh, but if you're the youngest sibling, take note and don't upset your brothers too terribly much because that's what Joseph did, and they sold him as a slave to some people traveling from Egypt. Uh, so also take that in mind, however mean your brother's been to you. It's probably not been that um, so Joseph ended up on his own as a slave in Egypt. That's like the second half of Genesis. But that ended up being really good because an incredible famine came over the land. And so years later, Joseph's family comes to Egypt looking for food and they find Joseph. And he's actually one of the most important people in the country. God had given him favor. He rose through the ranks to become the right-hand man of Pharaoh. And now the brother that they sold into slavery is in charge of food distribution for everyone. And in this really cool moment of grace and forgiveness, he recognizes them. He takes care of them. He reaches out to them and actually moves the whole family to Egypt. Now I tell you that because that's how Abraham's family, the people of God, the Israelites, ended up in Egypt. And they grew and grew and grew. And there's a really, really small verse in your Bible that says, Then a new Pharaoh came to power who did not know Joseph. 
And so this family had grown and grown and grown. And this new Pharaoh comes to power and is scared of them and puts uh, authority and power and enslavement over them. So now God's promise to Abraham has started to come true. His family is growing, but they're slaves. And that takes us into the book of Exodus. If you've ever seen Prince of Egypt, you know the rest of the story. As God, through a whole series of miraculous and powerful events, brings them out of the most powerful country in the world, out of Egypt, and on that Passover day, God leads the people away from Pharaoh, away from Egypt. They go and they're leaving and they come up against a body of water and they say, this is a bad plan. We're stuck. God says, that's okay. Uh, oceans are not a big deal. And he splits the sea. Right? This is Exodus 14 when the people of God walk through the Red Sea. That's the history of God's people up to this point. So everything has taken place. Exodus 14, they literally do something that's never been done before. They walk through a body of water that God has separated. And in Exodus 15, they sing a song. Would you have sung a song? So let's read this together. It says, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. This is a good point to remind us that they're singing this. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind, and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard and they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone till your people, O Lord, pass by. 
till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. The people of God have always been a singing people. And there's a pattern in Scripture. God saves and people sing. And this is the first. This is the introduction of that pattern. But it is a response that is seen throughout Bible. God saves and people sing. Now that is actually a pretty strange element in our culture. If you think about it, where else do adults gather to sing for more than two minutes at a time, right? With very limited exceptions. You can go to, maybe not this year, but last year you could have gone to a Mariners game. You sing the national anthem or, or some other sporting event. Uh, what's, there's like that retirement song. I didn't know that was a thing. We got, he's a jolly good fella. There's that thing. Uh, obviously the most frequent is happy birthday everybody picks their favorite note and off we go but but where else this is a weird thing and if you remember if if you've come into the church if you came to Christianity later or if you've been here a long time just think about what that's like for a culture that does not gather and do organized music right and we come into here and now there's an expectation that there's songs happening and we're like engaged and, and it's not a concert where one person does it. There's participation. That's a, that's a strange thing in this culture. And yet, it's important to God. There are over 400 verses in the Bible about singing. There are over 50 direct commands to sing. Um, Colossians 3 is a really cool one. I think we have a slide for that. Colossians 3, writing to the New Testament church. Uh, Paul writes, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. A, a way to, to do life together as God's people. The first verse of Psalm 95, 96, 98, 100, 101, 147, they are all command form sing to start those psalms. Now, now please, please remember as we're going through this, this is not... This is not like, aha, there's the magic bullet, away with the government, that kind of thing. I'm not, not interested in, in that. In one sense, none of that matters. Is, you know, there's a, the timeline for this thing ends soon. But, but um, this is meant to highlight that God himself and the authors of Scripture found incredible importance in the people of God and their voices now this, as, as we've mentioned, um, is the first recorded song in Israel's history. It's also the first time that they were a free people. 
There had never been a free nation of Israel until Exodus 15. And the first thing that they do as a free people is sing together. Now it begs the question, and we read through that. I don't know what the tune was to Exodus 15. Wouldn't know how to sing it. But it begs the question, why did they? Why sing it? All these things about God threw down Pharaoh's chariots and God redeemed his people. He paid for them. You're great. No one's like you. Why did they sing it? Why not just write it down? I mean, we did get it written down, but it tells us that they burst into song. Why not have a class where people could come on Saturday mornings and learn a study about what God did as he led them through the Red Sea? Why do singing? I think it relates to a word that nowadays kind of gets jumbled up in the church world with singing, and that's worship. Sometimes we use them interchangeably, right? Did you worship? Meant did you sing? And that's not entirely what that word is supposed to mean and it's definitely not what it meant at the beginning and and originally the word was actually one letter longer in old english it was worship and there's a lot of really good definitions of worship but here's one worship is an act of ascribing ultimate value to something in such a way that it engages your entire being Worship is an act of ascribing ultimate value to something in such a way that it engages your entire being. I think that's why they sang. You think about that, that was to them, that was the most significant thing that had ever happened. Nothing like that had ever been done before. No one had ever beaten Egypt. No one had ever walked through a lake. No one had ever become a free nation out of slavery in mass on one day with fire and water and all this stuff. And so to worship God appropriately for that moment, to do something that engaged not just their mind, but their whole being, they sang. And so uh, to, to move into this next part, I fully recognize that Music hits people differently, right? It's not universally uh, appreciated the same. Uh, Some people's tolerance for it is higher or lower and that there is a personal preference element in all this. Uh, So, you know, putting that aside, I found just kind of going through this some simple truths that I observed in the world and in scripture about God himself. So whether you like country, which is the wrong decision, or something else, which is a good decision, uh, I hope that you can track with this. So four truths that I see in the Bible about God and music or singing. The first is that music stirs up God-glorifying emotion. Music stirs up God-glorifying emotion. Now, this is really important. Worship and being emotionally affected by music are not the same thing. So you can't just have the one and assume you've done the other. You can't just, 
You can't just be moved and assume that you have worshipped. However, I think it is of God that these things are connected. Worship and being emotionally affected by, mu- uh, by music are not the same thing, but music stirs up God-glorifying emotion. So, for example, I believe that it is of God that using a minor third instead of a major third, it, it can start to affect your emotions a little bit. And even just um, as we hear things that we are familiar with, there are emotions that accompany with that. So you can feel sad and you can feel uh, excited and you can feel right like victorious. You're like, go get him, Luke. Um, and all these kinds of things. And, and my favorite part about music is it can even make you uh, like want to build a snowman. There we go. One person's seen Frozen. I love it. Um, but that is useful and good. There are all kinds of different emotions in being a human. There are all kinds of different emotions in being a follower of Jesus Christ. We go through different seasons. We feel different things. We are encountered with different scenarios that affect us. Why not also our worship? Why not when we sing? There's this crazy passage in the book of Samuel where it says that Saul has a tormenting spirit, and that's all we're given. We don't know what that means or what that looks like, but Saul has a tormenting spirit, and when David plays music for him, he feels better says the spirit leaves him. Saul's condition was improved. So, for example, you can take lyrics and you can read them and they might make you cry. Probably not. But when we add music to it, it, it combines for something special. So even that song, that last song we did before here, right, you can just have a book or you can have a, a sheet of paper and say, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. The world before me, cross before me, and th- these, are, these are good words, these are strong words. But combine that with what's going on musically, right, and I saw you guys doing the head bob. It it is that combination that that really inspires you to go do something about what you're singing. Now, this is important. Why would this matter? I think intellectual trust in God can be strong, and emotions can be strong, but when they're paired well with a good song with strong lyrics that are derived from our scripture, that is powerful. And so sometimes I think we might find ourselves in a position where if your faith is too tumultuous, you might need a little more truth. And if your faith is too lifeless, you might need a little more emotion. Now this is by no means the only way to get either of those, but in a really good song there's both. And that I need. I need that sometimes. I need to be able to do both for me and to watch you do it 
and to just have emotional truth that is healing or encouraging or challenging or reshaping my soul. Second observation. Second truth. Music helps us reflect the glory and activity of the Trinity. That is just a really big, like, theological way of saying God sings. God is a singing God. There we go. Uh, multiple places where this happens. In Zephaniah chapter 3, there's this really cool verse that says, God sings over us. That didn't have to be in our Bibles. God sings over us. In Matthew 26, if you're familiar with how the Gospels and those books of the Bible were, you'll immediately think, well, that's towards the end. Yeah, the last supper as Jesus gathered his disciples, they had the meal together and then they sang a hymn. One of the very last things that Jesus did as a free person was to sing a song with his disciples. And the Holy Spirit, countless times in the Bible, testifies to and glorifies Jesus Christ. And that's what we get to take part in when we worship as well. In so many of our songs, the Father sings, Jesus sang, Holy Spirit takes things and, and points and directs them to Jesus. We get to do all that when we gather as a church and when we sing. Here's the third one. Music helps us remember truth about God. Music helps us remember truth about God. All right. Let's try this. Please don't get us in trouble. Maybe hum or, you know, if you're in a corner, that's fine. Online, you guys can go crazy, but be respectful here. But if I go, you can just think, if I go, sweet Caroline. Yeah. That's called a conditioned stimulus. Music is basically just a series of conditioned stimuluses. When you hear part of a song, your brain knows the next part's coming. And if you can do that with, again, powerful lyrics, when you can do that with truth, music helps us remember stuff about God. Scientifically, this works. Medical professionals are using music right now as a means of mental therapy with dementia patients and with others who have memory loss because music can unlock pieces of the person who is there. And for a moment, it, it, it brings them back. It actually activates the memory portion of your brain. I, I believe that God put notes and rhythms in such a way that it affects us and it touches our hearts and our minds in a way that is powerful and important and useful and awesome. It helps us. Uh, in Deuteronomy 31, God speaks to Moses and says, write this song down and remember it. God knows how this works. He designed music for us. How many times have you ever left church and you said, that was a great sermon, maybe to someone who wasn't there? And they say, cool, what was it about? And you're like, um, uh, well, yeah, I don't really know, but it was really good. <laughs> uh, but songs 
can kind of stick with you, maybe even a little bit better, sometimes even when you don't want them to, right? There's, there's something there. Here's the fourth one. Music helps us express our unity in the gospel. Music helps us express our unity in the gospel. This is a consistent theme in the last book of the Bible. In the book of Revelation, which is primarily uh, a picture of what's happening in heaven right now, there's a lot of worship. And of that, there's a lot of references to singing. There's 27 songs in the book of Revelation. And in chapters 4 and 5, which are probably my favorite, there are a couple indications that those who are singing are from every tongue, every tribe, every nation, singing to God together. Um, I've only been able to experience this in limited capacity on earth, but I think my favorite moment of this was when we were able to take a small team on a hurricane mission trip to Haiti. And we ended up being there on a Sunday. And so we went to uh, one of the churches where we were helping out. And they were doing their thing. And they were killing. It was like a three-man band and having all this kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden, we like started recognizing the song. None of it was in English. And they did, as part of their worship song, or worship set, they did Amazing Grace. And they did How Great Thou Art in Creole. And we were singing it in English. And it was awesome. We're like, I get this. I'm not speaking your language, but I'm speaking your language. And we were worshiping together. And it's amazing. S something similar can happen here. It's one of the only times that we gather and, and do the same thing all together for a moment, right? There's prayer. You know, you're listening right now. But really, as far as participating, there are a... Worship, musical worship is one of those rare things where we come together and we're doing the same thing at the same time. And I know you guys don't all agree. I'm on Facebook. I've seen it. But we get here, right? In Christ alone. And we're all together. That's actually, that's really good. That's really good. When we lose the ability to lay down our differences for the sake of the gospel, we lose our identity as the church. But on the flip side, if we retain our ability to lay down our differences for the sake of the gospel, we keep our identity as the church. This is good. So in a, in a bunch of years of, of playing around on the piano and doing ministry in different formats, um, I have concluded that God is a musician. I think he loves it. I think he designed it for us. I think it is to be used as a gift to him, but also to encourage one another. But notice again, in case it's been lost on us, when this happened. Because I, I do think this song is so important to us. God brings his people out of slavery in Egypt, but they're not, they're not safe yet. They're not there yet, right? There's a promised land that's coming. They're barely on the other side of a big body of water, and they sang. And now they're waiting 
for the land that was promised. They're waiting for the rest of the good news to come to be. That's where we find ourselves today. We have been brought out of something. And we will proclaim that here as often as we can, that Jesus brings us out of slavery to sin. But we're still here on this world where not everything's perfect yet. And the full completion of God's promise hasn't been realized yet. But they sang. This is the Christian journey. This is a, a redemption that we can sing about. Um, so just a couple questions for us as, as we prepare to um, have the worship team back up here. The first question is just simply, will you sing? And I just mean that in terms of the, the people of God gathering, or whether it's in your own home, or whether it's with your family, Will you worship in a way that engages your whole being? But secondly, as we look at what these people did, what I want to know is what will the church sing about in 2021? What are we going to be about as a people of God? What will, as part of that, if that's you this morning, what will you sing about and we saw in this song so many things. God is powerful, but God saved me. Right? God did something I couldn't accomplish, but he paid for me. There are so many different blessings, so many different elements to God's grace. What are you going to celebrate what are you going to reflect? What are you going to remember? What are you going to gather with others and boldly proclaim about our God? What are you going to point back to God in 2021? What is the church going to sing about? With that, let's go to God to prayer and again, just go to him in music. God, you are, uh, you are the God who redeems, not just this one amazing instance, but you continue to do it. You do it in small ways in our lives, and you did it on the cross, and, and God, as we see, you save, and, and there's a response that is deserved. So we ask that you would guide our response. As we just celebrated Jesus come to earth, there is so much that Jesus did for us. Help us in our response to you. Thank you for the story. Um, we ask that you would continue to remind us of it. Thank you for the tools that you've given us to help. May we use them in a way that pleases you. In your name we pray. Amen.